Chapter Twenty Seven of The Cave in the Mountain by Edward Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Seven The End. Well, that there little matter was settled without any hard words, muttered the scout as he rode up the ravine. It ain't the way Lone Wolf generally manages them things, but that affair me and him had when I took my house away from him, I suppose had something to do with it. The scout had considerable cause to feel grateful and pleased over the turn of events. He had his horse and gun, and it now only remained for him to rejoin his companions. He had already passed the point where Mickey O'Rooney had left the ravine, and he felt the impropriety of turning back and presuming upon any further indulgence of the Apaches. Accordingly, he slackened the speed of his mustang until he reached an avenue of escape. He was forced to go quite a distance before finding one, but he did at last and turned his horse into it. "'I don't know whether that air Irishman can find the way back to where we left the younger, but I suppose he'll try, so I'll aim at the same point.' The night was pretty well gone, and his mustang had struggled nobly until he showed signs of weariness, and the scout concluded to wait until daylight before pushing his hunt any further. They were miles away from the Apache camp, and he had no fears of disturbance from that quarter, so he drew rein in a secluded spot and sprang to the ground. At the very moment of doing so his horse gave a whinny which was instantly responded to by a whinny from another horse less than a hundred feet away. "'That's queer,' muttered the scout as he grasped his rifle. "'Where there's a hoss in these parts, there's generally a man, and where there's a man you can set him down as an Injun. And as this can't be Lone Wolf, I'll find out who he is.' His own mustang being a strayer, he managed to tie him to a small, scrubby bush, after which he moved forward with caution and stealth in the direction whence came the whinny that had arrested his attention. His purpose was to prevent the other animal discovering his approach, an exceedingly difficult task, as the mustangs of the southwest are among the very best sentinels that are known, frequently detecting the approach of danger when their masters fail to do so. However, Sut succeeded in getting so close that he could plainly detect the outlines of the animal, which was standing motionless with head erect and his nose turned in the direction of the other mustang as though he were all attention and on the lookout for danger. The scout paused to study the matter, for he did not understand the precise situation of things. The mustang which he saw might be only one of a dozen others whose owners were near at hand with possible several searching for him. The conclusion was inevitable that it was necessary for him to reconnoiter a little further before allowing his own position to be uncovered. Before he could advance any further, he caught sight of a man who moved silently forward between him and the horse, where he could be seen with greater distinctness. He held his rifle in hand, and seemed disturbed at the action of his horse, which was clearly an admonition for him to be on his guard. The scout studied him for a minute and then cautiously raised the hammer of his rifle. Guarded as was the movement, the faint click caught the ear of the other, who started and was on the point of leaping back when Sut called out, "'Stop, or I'll bore a hole through you!' The figure did not move. "'Come forward and surrender!' The form remained like a statue. "'Throw down that gun, or I'll shoot!' This brought a response, which came in the shape of a well-known voice. 
"'Not will I have the spirit of a man left, as me uncle observed when his wife commanded him to come down from a tree that she might pummel him. How are you, old boy?' The scout had suspected the identity of his friend from the first, and had made the attempt to frighten him from the innate love of the thing. The two grasped hands cordially, and were rejoiced beyond measure at this fortunate meeting. Mickey explained that he had not been scratched by a bullet, nor had his horse suffered injury. It was a most singular escape indeed, but no more singular than that of the scout himself, who had received mercy at the hands of Lone Wolf, who had never been known to be guilty of such a weakness. It had been a providential deliverance all around, and the men could not be otherwise than in the best of spirits. "'The next thing is to hunt up the younger,' said the scout, as they sat upon the ground, discussing the incidents of the past few days. "'I'm a little troubled about him, cause we been away longer than we expected, and some of the varmints may have got on his trail.' "'How far from this place do you reckon him to be?' "'That's powerful hard to tell, but it can't be much less than a mile, and that's a good ways in such hilly country as this. You can't get over it faster than you can run.' "'But you know the way thar, as I understand you to remark.' The scout signified that he would have no more trouble in reaching it than in making his way across a room. They decided, though, that the best thing they could do was to wait where they were until daylight and then take up the hunt. They remained, talking and smoking, for an hour or two longer, neither closing their eyes in slumber, although the occasion was improved to its utmost by their animals. The scout was capable of losing a couple of nights' rest without being materially affected thereby, while Mickey's experience almost enabled him to do the same. As soon as it was fairly light, the two were on the move, Sut leading the course in the direction of the spot where they had left Fred Munson the day before and which he had vacated very suddenly. They were picking their way along as best they could when they struck a small stream, when the scout paused so suddenly that his comrade inquired the cause. "'That's queer, powerful queer,' he said, looking down at the ground and speaking as if to himself. "'One horse has been long hair, and I think it were mine, and that he had that younger on his back.' "'Which way was the young spalpeen travelling?' The scout indicated the course and then added in an excited undertone, "'It looks to me as if he got scared out and had to leave, and it ain't no ways likely that anything would have scared him short of Injuns, though it's time we joined him.' The Irishman was decidedly of the same opinion, and the trail was at once taken. "'Be the powers, do you mind that?' demanded Mickey in an excited voice. "'Mind what?' asked the scout, somewhat startled at his manner. "'Just look yonder, will you?' As he spoke, he pointed up the slope ahead of them. There, but a comparatively short distance away, was Fred Munson, in plain sight, seated upon the back of his mustang, apparently scrutinizing the two horsemen as if in doubt as to their identity. The parties recognized each other at the same moment, and Fred waved his hat, which salutation was returned by his friends. The scout motioned to him to ride down to where he and Mickey were waiting. He's off the trail altogether, and if he keeps on that course, he'll fetch up in New Orleans or Galveston, he added by way of explanation. The lad lost no time in rejoining them, and the trio formed a joyous party. Not one was injured. Each had a good swift horse and a weapon of some kind, and was far better equipped for a homeward journey than they had dared to hope. 
"'There's only one thing to make a slight delay,' said the Irishman, after pretty much everything had been explained. His friends looked to him for an explanation. "'I received notice from my family physician in London this morning that it was dangerous when in this part of the world to travel on an empty stomach.' All three felt the need of food, and Sut considered the spot where they were as good for camping purposes as any they were likely to find, so they dismounted, and while Mickey and Fred busied themselves in gathering wood and preparing the fire, the scout went off in search of game. "'Do you mind,' called out Mickey, "'that you mustn't return until you bring something with you. I'm so hungry that I'm not particular. A biled Apache'll answer if you can't find anything else.' "'If he gets anything,' said Fred, we must make away with all we can and try to eat enough to last us two or three days. That's what I always do at each meal, promptly replied his friend. There's nothing like being prepared for emergencies, as me cousin Butto Norgogon remarked when he presented the gal he was courting with a set of teeth in a wig, which she didn't need any more than does me horse out there. The scout returned before he was expected, and with a superabundance of food, which was cooked and fully enjoyed, and as speedily as possible they were mounted and on the road again. The travelling was exceedingly difficult, and although they struck the main pass near noon and put their horses to their best speed, yet it was dark when they succeeded in clearing themselves of the mountains and reached the edge of the prairies, which stretched away almost unbrokenly for hundreds of miles. They saw Indians several times, but did not exchange shots during the day. It was not a general rule with Sut Simpson to avoid an encounter with Redskins, but he did it on the present occasion on account of his companions, and especially for the lad's sake. A safe place for the encampment was selected, the Mustangs so placed that they would be certain to detect the approach of any enemies during the night, and all laid down to slumber. Providence, that had so kindly watched over them through all their perils, did not forget them when they lay stretched helpless upon the ground. The night passed away without molestation, and making a breakfast from the cooked meat that they had preserved, they struck out upon the prairie in the direction of New Boston. They had scarcely started when a party of Indians, probably Comanches, saw them and gave chase. The pursuers were well mounted, and for a time the danger was critical as they numbered fully twenty— but the mustangs of the fugitives were also fleet of foot, and at last they carried them beyond all danger from that source. As the friends galloped along at an easy pace, Sut Simpson struck them with horror by telling them the story of the massacre which he had heard discussed among the Apaches when he was a prisoner. All were anxious to learn the extent of the horrible tale, and they pressed their steeds to the utmost. The site of the town was reached late in the afternoon when it was speedily seen that the young chief had told the truth. New Boston was among the things of the past, having actually died while in the struggles of birth. The unfinished houses had been burned to the ground, the stock run off, and most of the inhabitants massacred. The fight had been a desperate one, but when Lone Wolf sent his warriors a second time they were resistless and carried everything before them. "'If any of them got away, they've reached Fort Severn,' said the scout, who was impressed by the evidences of the terrible scenes that had been enacted here within a comparatively few hours. "'But I don't think there's much chance.' The remains of those who had fallen on the spot were so mutilated and in many cases partly burned that they could not be recognized. Among the wreck and ruin of matter were discovered a number of shovels, 
the three set themselves to dig a trench into which all those remains were placed and carefully covered over with earth. "'We'll take a shovel along,' said Sut, as he threw one over his shoulder and sprang upon his horse. "'We'll be likely to find the need for it before we reach the fort.' This prediction was verified. As they rode along, they constantly came upon bodies of men and women whose horses had given out or who had been shot while fleeing for life. In every case the poor fugitives had been scalped and mutilated. They were gathered up and tenderly buried with no headstone to mark their remains, there to sleep until the last trump shall sound. Fort Severn was reached in the afternoon of the second day. There were found just six men and two women, the fleetness of whose steeds had enabled them to win in the race for life. All the others had fallen, among them Caleb Barnwell, the leader of the Quixotic scheme and the founder of the town which died with him. The valley of the Rio Pecos was not prepared for any settlement unless one organized upon a scale calculated to overall all combinations of the Apaches, Comanches, and Kiowas. From Fort Severn, Mickey O'Rooney and Fred Munson, under the escort, or rather guidance, of Sut Simpson, made their way overland to Fort Albray, where Mr. Munson, the father of Fred, was found. The latter thanked heaven for the sickness which had detained him, and could not fully express his gratitude for the wonderful preservation of Mickey and his son. Sut Simpson, the scout, was well paid for his services, and bidding them good-bye, he went to his field of duty in the southwest, while Mr. Munson, Mickey, and Fred were glad enough to return east. End of chapter 27 End of The Cave in the Mountain by Edward Ellis Read by Thomas Rose